Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and you never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I'm really excited because I'm on spring break. I've got another job, which I don't often talk about, but it's in education. I'm not in the classroom, but I am on break. And I am so looking forward to getting at least half of the million things that I need to do taken care of. And I mean, that's kind of part of the challenge of having a break. You know that there are things that you want to do. And then you know that there are things that you have to do. And you don't want to get to the end of the week and realize that you still have piles of personal obligations that you need to handle. And now you've got to go back to full days. So what I've found is if I make a list and if I schedule things in my phone, like I have so many alarms, it's going to be crazy. Some of them I'm going to miss. I know that I'm going to ignore them. I'm just going to be like, I can do that tomorrow. But I do tend to do a whole lot more when I do that. And you know, some of the alarms are (laughs) like, I haven't been hydrating enough. So I think that a few of those might be missed. But then some of them are like, I have an appointment somewhere. So I have to make sure to honor that. So we'll see how far I get. But you know, I'm often reluctant to tell people that I'm on break because I realize that most jobs don't have what seems like a luxury, right? But the real difference between where I work and other establishments and organizations is that our vacation days are earmarked for these breaks. And, you know, in re-listening to the second part of my conversation with music arranger, composer, and writer Luis Guerra, which is about to come up and covers his battle against MS, the value of taking breaks when you have them available just can't be underscored. I've worked in education for a long time, And prior to that, I worked at some great places, but none of them forced me to take a break, right? And then there was about 18 months when my contract wasn't renewed in education that I worked at at another organization that also didn't provide scheduled breaks. And one of the things that I noticed that resulted from not being essentially forced to take your break is that a lot of people that I worked with valued accumulating their vacation days. So they were really working nonstop. 
And the thing is that we are biologically designed to alternate between work and rest. And there's actually a distinction between sleep and free time type of rest. It resets and re-energizes you so that you are stronger, healthier, more focused, better able to get your work done, um, your obligations taken care of. But it creates space for creative pursuits, right? So it enriches your life. And in turn, that creates a balance, right? That's what the vacations are for. So as I begin mine, I really want to encourage anybody who's accumulating vacation days and hasn't had a break in quite a while to please take some of those days and hit your reset button. Um, One of the things that I did to reset is to have brunch with my daughter, Sophia, of Lists with Sophia. So if you go back through my episodes, you'll see a handful of these fun Q&As. They're all entitled Lists with Sophia. And we hit a couple of galleries. If you're interested in seeing what my day-to-day life is, sort of, I don't post all of the time, but I do post a lot of reels to Instagram. But for now, I'm going to go ahead and get into this second episode with Luis Guerra, who is, as I said earlier, a music composer, arranger, and writer. He's also an MS warrior and March's Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. That's what MS stands for. I just wanted to add a little bit of background here. Multiple sclerosis is a neurological disease, which means that it affects your nerves. It's chronic. There's currently no cure for it. About 2.3 million people worldwide have multiple sclerosis, and it's hard to diagnose. The stats are that about 42% of patients are misdiagnosed the first time around. There continues to be a push in research to develop disease-modifying therapies, drugs that will control the symptoms, and also slow the progression of MS, but it remains a disease that deserves attention and support to find a cure. So please grab a cuppa and join me in the second part of my talk with my amazing guest, Luis Guerra. I hope that you will enjoy this In the Company of Friends talk as much as I did. I want to just mention your music can be heard on 18 and a Half, which is a comedy thriller about yeah. those infamous yeah. 18 and a Half minute gap in the Nixon Watergate scandal. And you wrote Brasilia Bella, which is a mm-hmm. Bossa Nova track that's in there that is just so rich and luscious. And it's just beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I was listening to it like over and over for a bit there. Um, (laughs) Also, uh, Far More, which is a comedy drama about a fashion designer returning home. And I think almost everybody's heard of Whiskey Tango Foxtrot about a Mm -hmm. cable news producer who goes on assignment in Afghanistan. That's right. You also have music in a 2017 adventure comedy that's called Bernard and Huey about two friends who are reuniting. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the things that really made me smile was that you did the music for Malcolm Gladwell's uh, podcast series, Revisionist History. He's one of my favorite authors. Outliers, I think, is one of the best books I've ever read. I I love that book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I still work with him. I mean, we're working on season eight, you know, right now. I work with him. I work with like Stephen Dubner. I mean, I love those people that are like, they're creating stuff that we sort of all pull from. And then they're like, hey, what does the music sound like? I'm like, I don't know. Let's think about this for a minute. Like, it's it's a little overwhelming. But yeah, somebody like Malcolm Gladwell, it's like. That's big. Yeah, it's great. You know, and his team, of people, it's really awesome, you know. Um, yeah, and just some of the companies, you know, like the producers at Apple or at Netflix, Wild Wild West Picture Show. It's like there, there are people over the year, David Clarkson, um, he has a company called Stalker. It's like there are people that I've worked with over the years that really have elevated what I'm doing. And they, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell is no joke. A lot of people are listening to his podcast. I mean, millions and millions, right? right? So, and same with uh, Freakonomics Radio and like no stupid questions. It's millions of people. And so it's like, you start to realize you're creating the soundtrack for sort of what we all are in a way. We are all trying to sort of digest and make sense of this world. And I, I really feel lucky to find that. I, I don't know how I found that because... There are many, many composers out there to do that kind of work, you know, um, that have a lot more, say, substantial credits. But regardless, it's back to our earlier discussion, intention, creativity. I really do feel like intention is a big one. And it's like that's the only way that that it's gotten me these types of situations, because I feel like scoring a film or a TV, writing a theme song for a TV show or whatever. Like, yes, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm going to find that at some point. Connecting with somebody like Malcolm Gladwell or Stephen Dubner or Dr. Maya Shankar or like any of those people that are really trying to sort of move the needle on how we view each other in a society. That is that's the shit for me. That's what I want to do. Right. That's always been what I wanted to do. And whether it was music or not, it's like that to me is what's the important work, like more so than entertainment is you know, creating content that we can kind of stream on our phones and forget and escape. That's cool. Don't get me wrong. We need that. But really moving the needle on how we sort of deal with society and the world, that to me is the shit, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's so important. That's such a, I feel like that's, it's almost like advocacy. It's just like, it's just very important work, you know, and I don't want to ever really stop doing that. And I don't even know how that happened, but like, that's, (laughs) that's kind of become my jam, my bag. I don't even know. I love it. I think it's really important as well as is, you know, you're seeing it more important than entertainment. But I think, again, just going back to the fact that music often speaks for us when we can't speak what our feelings are. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so important that you've also toured with a lot of luminaries, you know, like just a lot of diverse musical styles. So I'm wondering how when you prepare for it, because I'm just going to name a few, which is like mm-hmm. folk music with Patty Griffin or rock with Peter Buck or Money Mark of the Beastie Boys. And then there's mm-hmm. jazz with Mose Allison and oh, yeah. Kevin Hayes. Hayes. Yep, right. And I have to say, <laughs> thank you for introducing me to Alejandro Escovedo. I had to actually go and listen to him say his name because, again, I was falling back on my Spanish and I want to call him Alejandro Escovedo. But, yeah, yeah. you know, he's got this nostalgic kind of almost rockabilly genre of rock. Mm-hmm. And like all country. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just listening to song after song, watched a couple of his videos, and I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. So thank you for introducing me to him via your website, which is luisaguerramusic.com. But how do you prepare for all of this? I don't even know. I mean, the luminary people was literally, again, it was like, you know, you get called and you're like, okay, I got to go learn a record or I got to learn how does the quarter note feel in, you know, folkier music. So I go to Nashville and watch people play, you know, and try to like get myself equipped or I, you know, I was playing tango um, early on with Glover Gill, who's incredible writer, arranger, composer, um, who I think he's retired now. I think his last thing he wrote, I mean, again, these are like Texas. Like I, I moved from San Antonio to Austin when I was 17. And that was sort of like, okay, I'm exposed to blues and Latin music and there was some funk and whatever. Then I had friends that were bringing me out to Los Angeles to do session work. And somebody started a music house. They're like, hey, you should call Luis. He can write Bossa Nova and he can write jazz and he plays all these styles because I was a bass player. So I would get called for all of these kind of random gigs and I sort of lucked into, I'm going to say luck. Yes, I prepared myself. I practiced for sure. But when I'd get to a session, it's like, tell me, what do you need? You know, like, what are you looking for? What is my job? Right. And sometimes people would know. And some, sometimes Peter Buck was classic. He's like, I don't know. Let's just like jam and have fun. And you're going to play with Rahim Alhaj was like, he's like a big, like, I would just find these like really weird niche people that was sort of, again, outliers. You mentioned outliers. When I read right. that book, it's like, that's sort of I mean, in a way, that's really what I was identifying with the whole time. And so when I, when I connected with somebody like Malcolm Gladwell, who is very mainstream in a sense, like we know it. I mean, he's very, very successful. He's like a celebrity. It was like, well, shit, man. It's like I found my tribe, right? And not only Malcolm, but like Mia LaBelle and Julia Barton and now Lee Mangetsu and like Jacob Smith and Jacob Weisberg and like all these people that really... They are too, right? And it was something like, I think there was something about the music that I was creating that sort of resonated across the board. It was like, there's our guy on the music. Let's get him involved, right? And it was, it just, it clicked because I know they were looking for, they'd gone through many, many composers' reels, right? And so it's sort of, again, back to that, when you find the people, and that's what Patty Griffin was, that's what Alejandro, at a certain point, Alejandro, I mean, this, that was a very different time of my life. Mm-hmm. I was much younger. Um, and then 9-11 happened and I just like, I quit touring um, at that point. Then I started touring again. And then in my thirties, I had my daughter and I was like, okay, I'm done touring. And then now later in my life, it's like, oh, well shit, now I have MS. It's like, I'm not, the thought of touring would just, that just causes panic. So I'm going to stay home, yeah. which is great because now I have like a job, you know, I have like banker's hours. My friends make fun of me and my LA friends that are like editors or showrunners are like, I don't know any musicians that have banker's hours except you, Lisa. And I'm like, it's true, right? Like I kind of like keep, <laughs> so I can go home and hang out and relax. And like, when I was hanging out with on the road and doing tours and doing session work, I was of a completely different mindset. And I think just having sheer ability, talent, practice, that all kind of played in. And so the preparation came from a lot of that, like better learn a recording or let's write a chart. And I would just throw whatever I could to do it. And I didn't always keep those gigs. Like, let's be clear. Like, I mean, you know, I, 
I, it wasn't that I would get fired per se, like get the fuck out of here. It was more like <laughs> I wouldn't get called back all the time or I wouldn't necessarily do more recordings or I was only the guy that, because again, you know, let's talk about, there was this sort of typecasting like, well, he's Latino. So let's get him on the record where we're going to play Boleros with Patty Griffin. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as time went, it's like I developed friendships with some of those musicians from Alejandro's band or from patty and it's like i still use those people as much as i can i try to employ them as session musicians because they are really phenomenal musicians they've become that's all they've done in this and i'm not trying to minimize that that's what they focused on for so many years that they've truly become masters of their instrument i'm not like i'm i'm okay at these instruments like bass and guitar and piano like i can play i can hear some chords i can play some stuff i can pound stuff out but really if i need a like a legit piano player i would start with somebody like i'd want to hit up kevin hayes and he might not even take the job because he's like no that guy was a complete genius virtuoso but that's okay Mm -hmm. i'm just saying i'm using that as an example like there are many ways to prepare for it and so now it's like let's send Luis a script you know based on what i've done for all these shows or imdb or tv it's like now producers can kind of go they can go to my website and sometimes it's out of date like right now i know there's an update with probably another, I don't know, five projects, but whatever. It's like, there's enough there for people to get a sense of like, was this the sound we're looking for, right? Is this what we're, because that's sort of how I'm going to approach it through the lens of all those experiences from way back in the day for me that where I prepared and I studied music and I learned about folkloric styles and folk music and got schooled on the bandstand by Alejandro or got called a sissy or whatever it was and still got through it and then got to this place where I was like, yeah, now I know a little bit about rock and roll. And now I know a little bit about how to play with space between my notes. And now I'm better intonation on my bass. And like, that is important. So when I go to compose, it's like, those are all my influences that are feeding into what I'm doing as opposed to like, I didn't grow up composing music or going to Western composition. Uh, I didn't go to Juilliard. I didn't even get accepted to a music school, right? So am I self-taught? Yes, uh, to some degree. But like, I learned a lot on the bandstand because that's how I paid my bills. I didn't have an option. You know what I'm saying? And so that sort of has now culminated into like, no, I really, really like writing and composing and arranging. Like, I really, I think about it. it. It exists in my subconscious mind all the time. That's probably a good fit for me. As long as I can do this and show up, I am going to do this. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you put together compositions where you're playing every instrument. I mean, I saw a very short one where you you did a little- Oh, the raccoon. Yeah, yeah. The raccoon, which I just thought was so cute, but- um, And and really fun and innovative and creative and all of that, you know, but- how easy is it to move from one instrument to the next? And, you know, like, how do you put a composition together? I think it's like, I think what where it starts from is your strength, right? For what I'm trying to do, it does work. And again, the raccoon theme, that became a full-on composition. I'm sh- there will be another video, I imagine, but it's not necessarily just me performing i'm sort of like the idea engine person like i'm like less is what the raccoons and sometimes it sticks but i'm not the best right and i know really great musicians so i can go be like okay go cut all the percussion and make it sound like a legit cha-cha-cha i think that's what we were doing for the raccoon the raccoon theme is is um we're gonna hear that later on we'll hear some version of that later on in the year when it comes out on a show i'm working on so There's like a whole backstory to that that I can't disclose because I have an NDA and okay. But to answer your question, it's like 
I'm trying to, my job is to try to get ideas onto paper or in my computer or whatever at my studio as quickly as possible. So it really does come down to the basic elements, right? Tempo, the rhythm, is there a rhythm? Is it going to be just completely arrhythmic or is it going to be something that's out of tempo? Um, Okay, so that's one. Same thing with harmony. Am I going to do something atonal? Probably not. Most likely I'm going to do something with chords because that's sort of where I come from. And I do think that harmony is a important part. And then what's the melody? Or maybe I'll work backwards. Here's my melody, right? And I've already sung it onto my old school um, 2012 iPhone. Well, I guess it's old school now. There's like a voice memo that has... That it's got the melody, or maybe I've written it, wrote it down on a sketch, right? I have a sketchbook that I carry around that's got like staff paper, and maybe I wrote down a melody, right? Because back to that earlier work I did with my orchestration teacher who helped me do that, right? And so there's a starting point. Now I got to fill in the harmony. Now I got to the rhythm. So what is that, right? Ultimately, it's like I don't know. What is that? Well, ask yourself. Well, let's see. Is it hooks? You know, or is it a shaker? I don't have a shaker in here. Is it a, you know, is it a Moog? Is it a beat that I'm going to put a play on my MPC or is it like a drummer, right? Or a percussionist and a bass. Is it going to be acoustic bass? Is it going to be electric bass? Is it going to be mug? So again, it's like those elements I can cover pretty well to at least get the idea rolling. And then I can get a sketch or a demo. And sometimes that sketch becomes the final proof, right? That becomes accepted because the producers are like, we really love the raccoon theme that you came up with, Luis. And it's just like perfect for our show or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> great. Because I literally thought about that for five minutes and was having fun, right? And it was a joke, right? It was sort of like my friend's like, got his camera and he's like, let's film you doing. And he wants to show up all the time because I'm doing <laughs> shit all the time, but I can't. I just, it's like, I can't coordinate it. And so it's like, I mean, yes, come and come and film something. But it's literally like, what am I doing today? I'm doing something for Valentine's for a streamer. I have three other cues to do for another show I'm working on where I don't have a lot of time to think about all of the elements. And so it's sort of like I work from a template that I or templates. Um, so a template might be like exists. I, I use Pro Tools a lot is my DAW. So I might have like already 25 instruments pulled up and 10 tracks where I can play. I just plug in my electric bass or a bass in the studio and maybe my amp is already like amped up and it, it is. And I can just like play some guitar chords and like, boom, then I kind of move on, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. And then I'll go back and listen to it. And I'm like, um, I really don't like that. Okay, scratch. Let's listen to the second idea. That's pretty cool. Who is going to make that better? And who can I afford to like, who really will make it better that I can afford to do it and is actually going to do the job. And that's sort of my process because a lot of times when you get into famous people and celebrities and they won't deliver, you know, because they're too busy and they have their own career. So I'm not going to hit up Peter Buck. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hit up when Mose Allison is dead. He probably would do it. No one hit that guy. He was crazy. But it's just like, no, you start to build again back to the tribe, right? It's like, who are the people that really will do it? Maybe I should bring in a producer slash mixer and let him or them or her get their people involved and do a different spin on the theme that I sort of mocked up based on whatever random shit that I imagined in the five minutes when I was thinking about literally about like, for example, raccoons, like, I don't know why, you know, and the story behind that is like, it's a funny episode and it's kind of like, I don't know. And it might work, you know, ultimately it's going to go back to the, the producers and they're going to be the ones that are cutting it in on this particular show. And like, if it doesn't work, they'll let me know. 
but they better have other options or I'll probably lose the, the job. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's really like, I, it's like nothing is precious in my life and in my world. Like there's always better ideas. There's always better musicians. There's always better mixers. There's always better people that can do it. But like, ultimately it's going to come down to how quick can I get that idea? And back to meditation. If, if I'm meditating on like, I need a theme for a show, blah, blah, blah. What does it sound like? Da, da, da. And I have it. Right. And I've memorized it or I've recorded it, you know, on my phone or whatever. I literally have to get that down before it sort of expires the, yeah. the sort of expiration of it. So that, I don't know if that answered. I think that answered your question, but that's sort of like how I kind of do a deep dive. And I've been doing that all the way back to learning how to play like the bass lines or play on a record or whatever, like all the way back to my you know teens and early 20s, all the way to now, you know, my later 40s. Yeah, that definitely answered my question. And I also get that, I, you know, when you have an idea, you think, oh, this is such a strong idea. Right. It's so concrete. I'm not going to forget. And 20 minutes later, you've forgotten. So <laughs> I can see why you need to do it in real time. And I think for composition specifically, I think it's very, 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 I cannot stress the varies enough, how easy it is to fall in love with your ideas. And they're not, they're just ideas. And I'm only saying that because it's like when I've sold pieces of music to somebody who's like, we would just want to own the rights and like, give us, that's it. Like, I can't use that idea ever again. I cannot re-record it. I've assigned the copyright and I've been handed a fat, you know, payday. It's suddenly like the realization, okay, instead of lament, I'll just go write another one and it's going to be different. And it's sort of like when you get to that place in your life where you feel liberated with your creative influences, it doesn't matter. Because it, it, it used to be, I used to be like, oh, I'm only as good as my last idea. It's like, no, man, it's constantly flowing. Like, I just have to tap in, yeah. you know, because there are ideas there and it's like, they might be good, but they might not. And really back to the Black Eyed Peas, it's like, until I do something at that level, I mean, yeah, that's very, very it's very hard to pull off. So like, don't get so married to your ideas, you know what I mean? I like that. The whole concept of if you're able to think at once, you're able to think something different again. It's like the, this endless river, right? 100%. And these ideas are not, don't be precious about it. You got to have fun, right? Like, okay, so that I'm going to segue into MS because part of the raccoon theme um, video was my friend getting pissed off that somebody had hit me up. And this is a close friend of mine you know, who I disclose this to, but I was like, yeah, so-and-so um, hit me up and they're like, oh, I heard you're really sick and that you're not doing music anymore. I was like, fuck that. Like, I mean, I got upset about that. I was like, who the hell is, why are they saying that? Because that becomes a rumor and that's bad, you know, for the condition. And I want to correct that. So it's sort of like, yeah, I'm doing music. You know, I can still play. Yes, I can still do these things um, just like I could a few years ago. And if maybe there's, maybe I'm better at it. I don't know. But I'm also trying to expose the fact that like I work in a very methodical, simple way. Like I'm not trying to be a ridiculously talented technician, right? On any of the instruments. And I want to be very clear about that because I think some people have the expectation, well, they knew me as a bass player and I could play bass. There was definitely a time, but I'm like, you want to hear a really good bass player? You should go watch my daughter. She's playing on these soundtracks now on multiple things I've had her and she's been on she was on 18 and a half she just played on the uh, a theme song for a show I just did for uh, Stitcher anyway the point is she's playing at a level that's so dialed into technical ability that I never had that that it's like no nah. and people are like but that's your 15 year old daughter I'm like she's playing at the level of somebody in their 20s she's clearly beating me on the bass right which I did have a career <laughs> so 
let's not downplay that. But yes, of course, like, is it her teacher that's, you know, with the L.A. film? No, but that guy's like a thousand bucks a day. And it's like, I'm not going to get him all every time I need a theme. And this is great experience for somebody and credits and she gets paid. And I feel like I'm sort of developing secondhand a potential to work in studios. She might abandon it. Cool. Great. It doesn't matter. I can't do it. And so it's identifying that your strengths and moving on and like finding people. That's very important to completing these themes, because I think a lot of people feel like, yes, I do play a lot of my instrumentation. Yes, of course, I do that because that's that's how fast I'm working. And yes, I can play. I've made it my job. I play instruments every day, pretty much all day. And so I have a certain amount of technique and facility. But When there's something that needs to be like, no, I need like a legit vibraphonist or a legit marimba player or accordionist. It's like, I'm not going to do try that. That'll take me six months to do. And so that and that's the beauty of living in Los Angeles, right? We can call people. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll be there in you know a couple hours. And (laughs) what do you need me to bring? You know, exactly. And that's how I do it. How does MS affect your ability to to work and and really just like Take me through one of your days and what you're doing to um, just just what happens. Yeah. So like MS is is a, you know, for those people that don't know, it is a neurodegenerative disease. And the sooner you catch it, the sooner you can stop progression. That's the idea. You're you, but you start taking these sort of d- disease modifying therapies that really can alter your immune system. They can alter the way they can alter your moods. They can alter, they can do a lot of things to your body. So I, I am currently on one. I'm on my second one because I was probably taking a treatment for a while that did not work. Now, going back, I probably have had this and I, I'm supposing this, right? But I most likely have had this for a long time, but I didn't know that. And I was having a lot of issues, but I was sort of dealing with it holistically, yoga, some diet, a lot of exercise, not even meditation. I just wasn't, I was just like, ah, whatever, you know, blown it off. At a certain point during COVID, things took a turn for the worse or, to, you know, they, they got, they got more severe and it got to a point where I was like starting to like, I don't know what is up with my body. I need to go see somebody. And finally, and again, you know, this is the healthcare system that we are in or that I'm in, um, which is, I'm going to say very, it's great, but it's sort of broken. It's great in that like I meet with specialists that are incredible, but it is broken that it's very difficult to navigate. It's very slow. And this is like a good, I have good insurance. Okay. So long story short, I eventually met somebody who looked at my health records and there's neurological conditions in my family. There's been Parkinson's, there's been muscular dystrophy, which I don't know if that's totally neurological. Um, there's lupus, there's, there, there, there are things. So it was like, there's red flags, right? This is like 2020. I'm kind of giving them a rundown. I'm like, I'm really feeling awful. And like, this is kind of fucking me up. And like, it's starting to affect my work. And like, it's really creating a lot of questions is more at that point. It was less debilitating. There was some debilitating stuff going on. He's like, well, let's get you with a neurologist, you know, go get a consult and let them know what you're going through. And then they're going to take it from there. And I'm like, great idea. Let's do that. That took me six months to get to that point. Right. Or whatever, eight months, you know, and like really getting to a point where I'm starting to kind of panic and I am doing my job and nobody knows that I, most people don't even know that I've been dealing with this. Right. So eventually I got MRIs and the uh, diagnosis came in and it's like, yeah, dude, you've got multiple sclerosis and you've got RRMS and you have little lesions in your brain and on your spinal cord. And yeah, it's, it can affect all kinds of things, right? From mobility to cognitive function to 
we don't know about creative um, part, but it basically can like affect parts of your brain, right? And your spinal cord. So like that plays out. And on a bad day, for me, what I'm going through right now is I'm dealing with um, neuropathy or like um, even more specific, like neurogenic pain, which happens intermittently. And we don't know if it is. And I say we, because now my team is like, there's two neurologists. There is a sort of non-traditional healer that deals with we do. I do like light therapy and I do like physical therapy. And so there's that person. I go to a neuroacupuncturist in Los Angeles who's amazing. She's fantastic. And she treats people with neurological disorders. I also consult with an IHP, which was also an MD. IHP is integrative health practitioner. And right now, for whatever reason, like I got, I caught COVID in September. I am going through the ringer with intense debilitating pain and I'm not making that up and and I do want to share that with people because we don't know if it's MS but there's an assumption that it's like I've just either just destroyed a nerve like or some nerves that's like shooting into my radial nerve on my predominantly on my left arm and what happens is I'll have these pain attacks that last let's say roughly an hour and it shuts everything down there is no you don't even get near me because I become I'm very agitated. I become a different person. There is no music. There's no texting. There's no emailing. There's no conversation. Like I'm right, clearly right now, I'm not even going through this. I take meds for that. I take a DMT. And I, my friend, I am very lucky. I have a very close friend who just called me a couple of days ago. Her husband called me and was like, man, we just got a really bad diagnosis for so-and-so's MS. And that is that she's secondary progressive. I am in the earlier progression of this disease. So that means that she's confined to a wheelchair. She is sharp as a tack. That means that like for wherever these lesions have occurred on her, it's affected her mobility, but not her cognitive ability. For me, it's probably affected some, maybe a little cognition, but not so much. Like I don't feel slowed down. I don't feel impaired, but it's definitely creating disabling. um, Well, I think that there's a disabling attack. It could be something else. There could be something else going on. So I'm trying to get through that. But we're literally talking about six months. I cannot book a trip. I'm lucky I have my studio down the street. I can walk, but I can't ride my bike anymore because I'm afraid that I'm going to get an attack. I, I bike around Los Angeles and that's me. Like I'm still able to work. I'm still able to run my businesses and write and like communicate and have a relationship with my wife, who's incredible, who's also like been helping me and like caretaking. I've also become plant-based to lower inflammation. All of these things that I'm doing to try to be proactive are not working. And I wanna be clear of that because I don't know if it's MS, but it's like, it's not just me. There's like eight people involved right now, you know, my extended family, my friends, a couple of people in my music community, you know, um, a lot of people don't even know that I deal with this, and I'm able to uh, still hit deadlines because it's like sometimes I, you just don't sleep, right? And I don't know if that's MS or the drugs or what, but it's like that is my life now and that is not going to go away. There is no cure for this. There is no change for this. All that I can do at this point is stop or slow the progression, which I think I'm doing. So far, we, we know th- about that and it's allowing for me to continue working, but it has radically altered my life. Like the thought of going on the road right now, no way. There's no fucking way I would be caught on an airplane or on stage because what if you have an attack? You're like, you're literally, you're kneecapped. And it's, and that's me. That's just me. Like, that's not, (laughs) that's not other people. They're like, they can't walk or they can't move their arms, but they can have a conversation. So what I'm trying to say is like, it is a very mysterious condition. There's not that much known. There are treatments. It is, um, 
on one hand, it's very um, deflating, defeating, sad. But on the other hand, it's like, God, I feel so enlightened by this and so much more empathetic and compassionate toward other people. Like everybody's dealing with something, right? That's what I feel like. And I feel like I, my friends that are addicts, it's like I feel for them because I was probably had some sort of addiction that I was dealing with prior to this, which thank God I'm not anymore. And it's just it's really fascinating part of life. And it's like it does it absolutely fuels my music. People are like, well, your music, some of your music's so dark and like, it's so emotional. I'm like, yeah, come live, <laughs> come spend a day with me in my shoes. And you probably better understand where I'm pulling some of this from. It's not just because I'm imagining like the blues or what, <laughs> you know, like. You're living it. You know, I had um, just a slight connection to what you're talking about. Cause I did a little bit of research. I don't really know a whole lot about Mm-hmm. MS, but I know that I think those lesions are the myelin sheath That's right. where the damage That's is. Right. And the myelin sheath is what protects your nerve endings. And my ears really perk up when mm-hmm. I hear that because I think I was about 34 years old and I had mm-hmm. shingles. And shingles destroys your myelin sheath. And if it goes untreated, you end up with this neuropathic right. pain that you're talking right. about. So I am so sorry that you're experiencing that because I know it's incredibly incapacitating. And I was, you know, like you said, I'm really, really lucky because I didn't get that post-traumatic neuralgia that can happen with shingles. But it almost sounds like you get ambushed by this disease. Like you don't know when it's going to. You don't. And it's, and it, so the insecurity of all of that makes you realize that you you really have to focus on the moment. If I get into the future self mode, like, oh, I've got to do this and I'm going to go do that and I'm going to travel. It just causes extreme anxiety for me because it's like, I'm li- I've am i been here in L- and I love Los Angeles and like I can think of worse places to be, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but it's like I've been trapped here for six months, right? I cannot leave until I figure out what is going on with, like what's the next chapter of all of this? You know, it's unfortunate that people have had to like encounter me when I'm going through a situation, but that is the reality. And I'm not alone. Like there are millions of people spread out in the world. There's millions of people undiagnosed with this. And and you know what? I'm going to just share this. It's like when my neurologist told me, well, the good news is I was like, holy fuck. Are you I'm sorry. I curse a lot, but it's like, that's okay. Are you kidding me? She's like, yeah, you don't have a tumor. We don't see any signs of you're gonna have a stroke oh or blockage and you don't have ALS. I'm like, Oh God, but what do I do have? She's like, well, you have MS, but don't worry. I'm like, what does that mean? I didn't even know what I was like, what does that mean? You know, what does that fucking mean? And the mystery of it and where it is, it is at and being sort of subjected to healthcare. And I'm somebody that has insurance. I have resources. I have I have access. I can only imagine what people are going. And I'm vocal about it. Like, I mean, ask me now, but I was not. I was like, oh, my God, I can't tell anybody I'm going to get fired. And this is going to happen. And now I was like freaking out. And But it's like, so what? Like, people should know. Right. And people with MS, like they should share that. And there should be support groups in my mind. Right. And maybe call me an idealistic person. But it's like I want to help people because what I'm dealing with, I hope that no one that you never have to go through it and no one in your extended family has to deal with it and nobody in my extended family has to deal with it because it is not it's not okay. And to be sort of panned and to like, well, we'll talk to you next week. It's like, so what am I supposed to do in the between now and next week? 
You know what I'm saying? Like you still have to get through the next no. six days and like the clock doesn't stop. The world doesn't stop turning. And I want to be really clear. Like I know very talented people with MS or lupus or really bad degenerative painful disorder or um, conditions. And like, you know, as time goes, you're like, I'm all right. I can do this. I can do that. But it's like, no. Yeah, I mean, it's like you really have to be vigilant. So like back to that earlier part of our conversation, it's like I'm spending a lot of my days doing this. And I feel like even though like every podcast invite that I get, I'm trying to take it because I want to use it as an opportunity to at least message because I have friends that are really going through a hard time, you know, or colleagues in the MS world that they don't have funds to pay for drugs, right? And the drugs are really expensive. And insurance companies are ruthless, right? They are like, no, tell us, prove us, prove to us that you're sicker than you are. I'm like, you want to come and live in my shoes? Like, I'm like, who made that decision, right? And it's hard to not get upset about this because this is just one condition. And people are like, ah, MS, whatever, you can live with it, you'll be all right. And it's like, I don't know, will I? You know, it's like, tell that to my friend who's like, she's confined to a wheelchair and she's in her early 50s, right? Tell her, is that okay? Like, it's so tough when you take a look at somebody like, you know, there's a couple of people that I'm thinking of that are really vocal about this, which is Selma yes. Blair. I'm a huge Hellboy fan yep. and I love what she's doing. It's so hard to watch, yep. but she's just such a survivor and just such a strong person and really trying to educate everybody about MS. And then also oh, Christina yeah. Applegate. And I am incredibly grateful to you that you're talking about this because I think a lot of people don't understand it. They don't perhaps realize, you know, like I said, I didn't know a lot about mm -hmm. MS, the insurance aspect or being able to pay for the drugs that you need in order to slow down the progress or to treat this terrible pain yeah. that you're talking about. That's a huge, huge issue. issue. Huge issue, right? And all I can say is that like the good news is like I'm not alone in this fight and it, it sort of hit me later in life. So I'm kind of I guess I'm luckier. I mean, at least it was diagnosed later in life. I probably had it for many years just based on the softer symptoms of it. But I mean, I'm going to do my part because it and I, I'm not mincing words. It will fuck you up and I'm not mincing words and, and I'm living it. I am extremely, extremely lucky because I can feel my hands, I can talk to you, I can see still, I can hear, I can do music. Like I feel very, very lucky, but I had to make some radical changes. And I don't think everybody realizes the power of like an anti-inflammatory diet and the power of meditation and the power of mind control, and you know, trying to control your mind, the power of yoga, the power of music, right? I can make binaural sound in my studio. Like I have that luxury, but I wanna make a soundtrack that is, I just need time, you know, um, I need time, but I want to make a soundtrack that sounds like what I'm experiencing because it is really intense and I'm not, it, it's, it's intense to the point where a lot of people are like, ah, you're just too emotional and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, maybe you have a high threshold for pain, you know, like good for you, or you have a high threshold for these things, but not all of us do. And I, and I applaud anyone who is willing to Christina Applegate being one just like stop working on her show. Like, yeah, I'm sure, you know, she's successful and she can like retire and whatever, but it's like, literally, she cannot physically deal with the demands of producing a show that was a really good show, right? right? And she had to pull herself out of the game, right? And she's young. 
It's like my friend, she's young yeah. and like I'm pretty damn young. So what, where am I at in four years, five years? That's my concern. And that's why I'm so vigilant about everything that we've discussed because I don't know where this goes from here. And I'm not going to go into future minder. That's going to just stress me out. So luckily today it's awesome. There's been zero attacks, but I had four in the last two days and it literally kneecapped me. And it's like, I still have deadlines and that's fine because I can still do it. But I want to be clear that this is like not going away for us, people that have this condition and we all want to like be creative and do our jobs, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get to do it. And so like, I got to be all right with that. If it changes, then all right, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what, what, what comes next, but here we are, you know, and at least we're talking about it. Yeah. I just think it's impressive and heroic that you're able to work around these limitations and bring this kind of attention to a very limiting disorder. I, um, I'm i sorry that you're going through this. I appreciate you being willing to have me talk about it. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to speak about it. Um, and, and really, I want to leave it on a positive note. And that is the little bit of research and the people that I'm kind of in, you know, following around this subject really do feel like that we are very close to a breakthrough to reducing um, or to finding a cure for MS. But that does not reverse the damage done. And that's the unfortunate part about this, because you're you're right. It's like the myelin sheaths are like, once they go, there's nobody is like regenerating that, right? And we're not yet. So I really do feel like in the next five to 10 years, we're going to find something there, there'll be a cure, or there'll be something where it's like, it's you're just managing it, like you're just you just make sure you take your meds, you know, whatever it is. But until we get to that point, we're not there yet. And there's a lot of risk around some of these drugs. From being immunocompromised to more damage, to more neurological damage, to other issues, mood disorders and whatnot. And so I, I think we'll proceed lightly or um, cautiously, not lightly. We'll proceed cautiously. But luckily, there are some really, really incredible minds trying to solve this problem. And it's it's kind of a beautiful community, I got to say. Like, I mean, just some of the people I've met through this, it's just they're I'm just so inspired by what they're doing. They go before Congress, they're like... I don't have money for my drugs. You need to change something. It's like, how are you going to deny those people that, you know, and talk about like strong people. It's pretty rad. I got to say. So, I mean, it's, it's just part of the tribe, but yeah, until we meet again, who knows where it goes. But like I said, I just don't want to go there. And luckily I can still write music right now. I'm going to (laughs) keep me in the game as long as possible. (laughs) Let's go. Definitely. I'm so glad that uh, you're able to do that. And um, I know I had another question and I just, I didn't write it down. See what happens. I didn't write it down. (laughs) But what I wanted to do is if people want to see what you're up to, reach out to you, how can they find you? Great question. I would say like, yeah, www.luisgaramusic.com. You'll always find me. I try to answer every inquiry or there's a form on there. You can hit me up there. You can send me an email, luisgerramusic at gmail.com. That's spelled L-U-I-S-G-U-E-R-R-A music at gmail.com. I'm pretty reachable. That's like a really good way you could follow me. I don't post a lot on social media. I'm trying to. And my friend is like, oh, I got to start helping you. But um, you can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I can't even remember what the handle is. I think it's at Luis Guerra Music. 
if I'm not mistaken. I want to say that I'm trying to use the same handle. I don't have a ton of followers. I don't post a lot, but I'm on Spotify. I'm out there. Like, I mean, you know, there's a really great web person that helps me out. And so like, they've really tried to like put me out there and I get mentions, you know, from like Gladwell or Stephen Dubner, you know, or Dan Mervish. Like I have some friends that like, they're out there like constantly posting stuff. And so you'll hear about me. It's interesting. It's like, I keep running into like shows that are using my music or they've licensed something. And it's like little by little, I'm getting my work out there, you know, and I think over time it'll be easier. I'm hoping that the sort of MS thing doesn't shadow what I'm doing, but I also hope that it sort of amplifies to some extent because there aren't a lot of musical people that have come out with that. I know there are some, but I do want to represent if I can and, and help people out. And I think people with disabilities in general are completely underrepresented. So hit me up on any of those platforms or my email or website and we'll get the conversation going. And I'll put up links. Um, yeah. I mean, you found me through um, a mutual friend. I, I think I'm not, I'm not that hard to find, but yes, yeah, sometimes I'm just so busy. I, I don't get back to people immediately, but I'm, I'm around, you know, and uh, I love working with people. Like, I mean, if there's a cool project, pitch it to me, like, let's go, you know, <laughs> like, why not? You know, but if you, I mean, a lot of people are like, Oh, they don't want to approach me because of this or that. I'm like, just, send me an email. I don't care. Like, you know, who am I? You know, I'm just a person. So um, I, I really do love working and collaborating with people. You know, I, I'm trying to find something that's for projects that are cool and then inspiring, you know. I am so inspired by Luis's tireless and creative spirit and that intention and clarity and focus that he brings to everything that he does. And I am motivated to continue to support the cause to find a cure for MS. I'm also looking forward to more fantastic music and projects from him. Please check the show notes for links to everything that we talked about, including how to follow Luis. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T H E Q U A I N T R E L L E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, courage, intention, creativity, elegance, and beauty.